Well, as these folks carefully come down the stairs, if you're at Adventure, welcome. My name is Scott Matthews. I'm the pastor at Adventure. We've been in a series that is based on Angelina Jolie's film, Unbroken, released Christmas 2014, and Laura Hillenbrand's book, uh, Unbroken. How many of you have seen the movie or the book? Raise your hand. Okay. So these interviews you're going to see this morning were provided by Bayside of Granite Bay. They're interviews they did with Louie when just before he died at age 97. And the reason I want to talk about the hope in this guy's life, this guy had a ridiculous ability to see himself through tough situations. Ridiculous ability. And this little opener gives you a chance to see him in his 90s, how he dealt with a very painful accident. Louis Zamperini. Thank God for the Billy Graham meeting because, boy, my life is, uh, uh, has been perfect. I've had a lot of injuries since I've been converted, but that tested my faith. And my number one scripture is all things work together for good. Three years ago, I fell down the stairway here. A, a, a mechanical fader on a dolly threw me four feet down on the pavement. Right hip. I knew I shattered everything. And I looked, I said, Lord, I know all things work together for good. This better be good. <laughs> so I went to the hospital and they couldn't believe how cheerful I was. I, I wouldn't take, see, I don't take any kind of pain cover. I'm used to pain. And then uh, this tall blonde nurse comes in, sees my SC hat. Oh, I'm a Trojan. So we talked football, and she said, well, Louie, I came in to give you a shot. And then we talked for a couple of more minutes. She said, well, Louie, i got to leave you now. I said, no, no woman ever said that to me before. And the whole place cracked up. So she went out and brought all the other nurses back in to meet me, all because of my cheerfulness. But when you're cheerful, you heal quicker. I healed a week early, according to the doctor. And then the nurses all went out and bought my book. And so, hey, it was worth it. My visit there, and when I left, they all come down to my room to have their pictures taken with me. And I ended up with a nurse on each knee <laughs> taking a picture. I'm just getting over a broken hip. So, no, all things work together for good if you wait and see what happens. I love that line, I don't, take, I don't take any medicine for pain. I've learned to deal with pain. How many of you can see yourself saying that someday in your 90s? Wow. Wow. How many of you are like, never going to happen? <laughs> I love the, that last line. I, I'm not just trying to be uh, dramatic here. That last line. You know, God works together the good for those who are working for his purposes, that's the verse out of Romans 8, but he says, you got to wait around and see what he's going to do. And there, there certainly is this default mode in human nature to quit before you ever get to see what's ahead. You know, he was 47 days in a raft in the Pacific Ocean, it exceeded the world record of survival, I think, by 20-plus days, plus or minus five. 
they were the only way to survive was to grab birds when they landed on the raft and eat them. On one occasion, they, sharks were jumping over. Sharks were jumping. I'm sorry, were, were, sharks were around them all the time. They would dive in and grab the shark, ride it as long as it wasn't too big, and then bring it up to the raft, beat it, and bon appetit. These guys had an unwavering faith to help them hold on to a hope that they were sure that was there, and Louis led that march. What about hope? Do you know the stats on hope? They come from Ray Johnston's recent book, Hope Quotient. Here are the stats. If you have hope, personally, if you have hope, you're going to be more successful, more compassionate, physically healthier. You'll be more satisfied, more willing to help people in need. You'll have more satisfying relationships. You'll assume more leadership. You'll be more productive. You'll hold higher moral and ethical standards. You'll be less affected by stress. You'll be more likely to see God as loving, caring, and forgiving, all if you have hope. We often throw around this term in religion, keep the faith. Be faithful. You hear it in and outside of Christianity. It would be almost an American colloquialism. Hey, keep the faith. Believe. But do you know the net the net return on faith, how you know you have a growing, I'll call it ancient faith, according to one of the authors associated with Paul, you know you've got a growing faith if you've got hope. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Paul himself said this, there are three things that are important. He said there's faith, Faith is based on the evidence of things not seen. It's based on conviction. It's based on reason. It begins there. Faith is not just a, 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 uh, a leap. It's not Christianity. It's based on, on evidence. Eyewitness evidence. Archaeological evidence. Testimony evidence. Life change evidence. But, but what follows faith is hope. A real faith means you're going to have hope that things can get better. And like Louis said, if you're willing to wait and wait on God, that's a true faith, then, then you're going to get to see how God intercedes in a situation to bring hope to anyone. And then finally, a real faith that has the assurance of hope is marked by the most important value, and it's a value of love. And the way I kind of describe it is that faith begins in my head, Hope enters my heart, and love, the most value of the three, is seen by my hands and feet. That's action. That's unconditional caring for people, showing mercy. As Jesus said, I desire mercy. How do you keep and maintain hope? It's tough sometimes. It's tough. I don't know how the Seahawks did it last Sunday. How can you believe in those circumstances? They did. And you could see their quarterback. His hope was not in himself, was it? His hope was in the Lord. Look and listen to how Louis survived, how he maintained hope. Check this out. Now, on the raft, people always talk about hallucination, baloney. There's if you, do, if you exercise your brain, 
the mind is like a muscle. If you don't exercise it, it'll atrophy. Before we crashed, we were in a world, a confused world, a chaotic world, right? Yeah. And then you listen to the radio and you get all this negative stuff in your brain like today. You turn on the news, it's all negative. Okay, we're in a new world now. Our brains are not influenced from the outside world. And now we feed our own brains what we want to feed it. And so we're memorizing and, and telling stories and keeping our minds active. They didn't know about it. But if we, I'd teach them songs, words to the hit 40. And then the, other, the pilot's dad was a minister, so he taught us the words to the Christian songs. So every day we had something you know, reminiscing, what they were doing in the future, how far back can you remember? And, uh, and then I got to the point where I had to cook meals and go into details. How much baking powder? What was the temperature of the oven? So this kept our minds active every day. And at the end of 47 days, we were sharper than the day we crashed. They say that is one of the true results of going without for a long time. Your minds become keener. When you're facing a hopeless situation, According to some of the writers of the Bible, you should increase in your uh, spiritual sensitivity and sharpness. That's why some people fast intentionally. It makes them more sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach them and lead them in. Well, like Louis, there's a Bible character that was facing a real difficulty, dismal circumstances. His name is Gideon. He is... Uh, readable in the book of Judges. And if you came this morning with a Bible, I want to challenge you this morning to open your Bibles to uh, the book of Judges. I think it's about the sixth book in the Old Testament. If you start with Genesis and uh, make, that, make that seventh. Um, so what you'll find in uh, Judges is uh, Gideon, uh, facing and his community facing some real difficult situations. And this is how they're described by uh, the author, uh, perhaps Samuel, of Judges. Here it is. Again, the Israelites, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive... The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts, it was impossible to count the men and other and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Let's set the scene here. Israel is not just defeated here. They're occupied. You ever experienced that at work? Boy, things aren't just difficult. I'm feeling a reorganization, a marginalization, an occupation, a dire threat. It's, it's very difficult on the whole Israelite community. How about this? 
God gave the Israelites a promise to inherit a land filled with milk and honey, that they would inherit vineyards they didn't plant, wells they didn't dig, houses they didn't build, and all of a sudden it looks like God's not keeping his promise. Have you ever, have you ever experienced that kind of season? It's been seven years, and the promise that they sensed God was providing has not materialized. And you saw why. The Hebrews were, were pursuing evil, their own selfish desires. God let them do it. Israel is not just defeated, they're occupied. Secondly, Gideon, this young man, is not just afraid, he's petrified. Let me just ask you, when you're going through a season of hopelessness, okay? Maybe you're a Raider fan, whatever it is you're going through. Okay? You, 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 oh, that, some of you want to leave, don't you? I'll give you a minute. I'm just kidding, I really am. When you go through a season of hopelessness, there is a temptation not to care. To be like, oh, that's just life. It's just, it's just, it's just not, it's not favoring me. Uh, God doesn't favor me. He's, I'm not one of them. I don't have that last name. I didn't get that opportunity. No, I don't accept that. Why should I care? Here's why. Regardless of your situation, we don't get what we deserve, thankfully. We get what we expect. We don't get what we deserve. We get what we expect. In my home, it is a practice of ours, and we don't always do it perfectly. But in my home, my wife and I often have a conversation uh, where she will tell me, hey, let's shut that gate. Let's shut the gate. Don't open that gate. Let me tell you what that gate is in our own minds. When you open that gate, you open up your mind to the idea that Mac had when he was on that raft with Louie. Hey, we're not going to make it. You open up your, your mind to the idea that, hey, this cup is half full. In fact, I'm not even sure there's anything in this cup. When you open the gate, you start speculating about the future. And it can cause you to become anxious, fearful. Um, It can lead to uh, criticism. It can lead to distrust. And we have a saying in our home, uh, shut the gate. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're getting close to the gate. We, We don't open that gate. Here's why. It's not that we want to be naive. It's not that we don't believe facts are your friends. It's not that we don't believe that there are lots of problems to look at face on and pray through. It's that we don't want to be led by our feelings and our own nature that I think has a default mode of giving up. Our own nature. I don't want that. I I experienced something as a teenager. Summer of my junior year, I was busy, I was working, I was in a musical production that took a lot of time, and I was a runner. And I made a decision my senior year, this was the summer after my junior year, not to run the next year. And I was busy doing some great things. I had tremendous opportunities at, in, as a 17 and 18-year-old as it relates to uh, drama, dance, all that stuff. But I made a decision not to run. And years later, I discovered that my running partner, he broke the school record in the mile. He ran a 4.16, which is 
which is even faster than Louis back in the, in the 20s. And he broke the four-minute mile. Some of you may have known him. He, was, he, went, he competed at Cal Poly, John Larson. John Lawson, rather. And when I heard that he broke the four-minute mile, I'm like, dude, are you serious? How did you do that? He's like, well, we just kept running quarters so frequently at such a fast pace. I thought, maybe I can do this for four. And he did it. And I, I wasn't even close to that. But like Louis said, Hope is this ability to hang in there and see what happens. Our default mode is to quit some great things and miss out on what can happen. It reminds me of this swimmer that swam, tried to set a a world record by swimming from Catalina to the Southern California coast. And it's about 25 miles. When she got to the Southern California coast, the fog was terrible, and she she couldn't see land. She had no hope. She quit. She was within 800 yards of breaking a world record. And so I think hope is just critical in our lives. I think it's critical in a marriage. I think it's critical in raising our kids that we trust that God is at work in their lives. It's critical as it relates to our finances. Talked a little bit about that in December. We want, we want the God factor in there so we don't just rely on ourselves. That can be really dangerous. Here's the the question I, I want to address today. How do I adjust to God-honoring expectations? How do I adjust? How do I raise my expectations at a level where they're not delusional? They're not a faith, as Paul writes, one of Jesus' companions. He says, have a faith that is, um, that is comparable to your giftedness. Don't be, you know, don't be delusional. But... But how do I have a God-honoring expectation in the future? And the first way is this. It's to change your definition of possible. Change your definition of possible. Judges chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. Gideon is visited by an angel. And this is how the narrative reads. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. (laughs) He was not feeling mighty. But Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. He had opened the gate. He was in there drinking a glass of Chardonnay. He had decided that there was no hope. Boy, you've got to make a first decision to change your definition of possible. You've just got to change it. You've got to be willing to say, you know what, that really is possible. When my sister told me six months ago, we might be moving into Thomas. I'm like, come on. They're from Carmel. That ain't going to happen. They're not coming. And I think I saw her here today. You out there? Why don't you stand up so they can see you? This is my sister and my brother-in-law, uh, Johnny and Annie. Love them. Love them. Never thought I'd get to do life with my sister again, and I do. It's just a joy, especially their, their, their son, Connor, and, and Caleb. You got you to gotta be open to impossibilities. My mom says she's moving here. I'm excited. She'll be here as soon as their house sells down in, uh, down in Southern California. Things we would never have imagined. You've got to be open to impossibilities. 
Be open to change. Change your definition. Beware of this kind of thinking. And let me tell you again, this kind of thinking is metaphorically symbolized by what we call in my home, opening the gate. Beware of the kind of thinking that that says, things will never change. I cannot stand when I hear, this really does bug me, when I hear a spouse say, he's never going to change. Oh, you know what that says? You don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't believe God can transform a heart. Oh, I don't like that. I believe I can change, not by my own ability, but by Christ's Spirit in me, by the Holy Spirit that lives in me. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. I can change. I can say no to too much dark chocolate. I have power. <laughs> okay? I, can, I, can, I can be the person Christ wants me to be. In Christ, change is inevitable. It is inevitable for God's glory, not our own. Let me ask you, as it relates to your definition of possible, have you given someone permission to define your identity or to tell you what is or is not possible in your life? Let me tell you, there is primarily only one person who has, been, who has authority to tell you whether or not something's possible. It's Jesus Christ, the chief physician, the king of kings, the creator, He who holds all things together, as one of his followers, Paul, wrote in Colossians. He's the one that tells me whether or not there's hope. Don't lean on anyone else to have superlative authority in your life than Jesus Christ. Second, if you're married, would be your spouse. Number two, way of raising your expectations to have hope. Adjust your perspective. Adjust your perspective. Make changes in your perspective. Verses 14 through 16, the angel says, the Lord says to him, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and I will strike down all of the Midianites. Let me ask, what battle has God promised to fight with you? As the pastor of Adventure, I've got to tell you, I have not felt more supported by God in my life than just in the last couple months as a pastor. No way. I have had uh, a new staff member in Craig Whitney, Craig was up here earlier, who has really gotten in and helped us organizationally. He has only been able to do a minimum because he's been overseeing the junior high and high school ministry. And we believe that we're not far at all from having a next-gen pastor because of his hard work. We're very, very excited about it. I have been so encouraged by other pastors that have been reaching out to Adventure of Natomas and encouraging us. Uh, got a call from an area pastor last two weeks ago whom I've never met but had a chance to be with his staff. He called me on Sunday morning to see how my sermon was going. I'm like, what in the world are you doing calling me? And my wife said, have you called him back? I'm like, no way I'm calling him back. There's no way I'm interrupting him. He preaches to a slightly larger church than Adventure. I didn't think he wanted to talk to me, but maybe. But I did, talk, I did connect with him later that day. 
I felt God's encouragement tremendously. And last week, all week, I felt so encouraged by the Lord, was, felt just overwhelmed by his love. Now, I don't know if it was because I had been fighting a cold for 10 days and just have been a little more sentimental. I found myself tearing up at the table uh, over broccoli uh, last week. I thought that wasn't right. You're, you're kind of taking it to the next edge. I'm all, all sentimental. But I, I honestly believe God's just been loving me, and I'm so grateful. I've actually been ending my prayers. I'm not kidding. Lord, I just want to enjoy your love. It's the most important thing for me. I want to enjoy your love. Pour it into my life. If you're familiar with, with Paul's writings, you know that's, that's an appropriate prayer. Let me ask, if you adjust your perspective, what battle has God promised to fight with you? Louis was on the raft. There was a gentle, there was gentle Phil crumpled up before him, Max breathing skeleton, endless ocean stretching away in every direction, the sun lying over them, the cunning bodies of sharks waiting and circling. He was a body on a raft, dying of thirst. He felt words whisper from his swollen lips. It was a promise thrown at heaven, a promise he had, he had not kept, a promise he had allowed himself to forget until just this instant. If you will save me, I will serve you forever. That's what he said in one of those 40-something days on the Pacific. Let me tell you, maybe today, you didn't even want to come here. Maybe today is, is the day you personally adjust your perspective and put your hope, not in yourself, but in that rabbi who suffered on that cross for your sins. And that you begin a life that is not about religion and good works, but you begin a life that is about a relationship with him the one who resurrected from the dead, who loves you deeply, and who left his own spirit, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to lead you in a life of faith and hope and love. Maybe today you will make that decision to put your hope in Jesus. I'll lead you in a prayer when we're done. Maybe it's a renewal you need to make today. I don't know. Thirdly, I got to tell you, it's important when you have significant moments to, to build faith moments. Build a monument to a faith moment. In Judges chapter 6, verses 22 through 24, an angel of the Lord has just, in, just consumed by fire a, a sacrifice that Gideon had offered. And this is how Gideon responds. It says, When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Abizarites. Folks, when God does something special in your life, maybe for some of you parents, it was seeing your kids up here dedicating their children to Jesus Christ let me just take a moment. I can't imagine what that's going to be like when I see my kids take their kids up and say, I want my kid to make a decision to make Jesus the Lord of their life. I'll bet for some of you today was very special being able to watch that happen. You be, maybe today's the day you, you, you say, hey, today was special and you mark it in some way. When God does something, you need to mark it. Uh, when I was a teenager at in Joplin, Missouri, and I've shared this story many times, I wanted to go home. I wanted to go home. I was lonely. I wanted my mama. And I, I, I prayed, God, if you really want me here, 
could you give me a sign or something? And there was an electrical storm right happening simultaneously. And yet there was a forest of trees before me. And I said, God, if you would just encourage me today, would you strike that tree, that very one with lightning? I'm not pointing at anyone in particular. Would you strike that tree with lightning? And within three seconds, <laughs> that very tree was awesome. I wanted to turn around to my dorm and say, check that out. Can you do that? No, believe me, not at all. I was very humbled. No one even saw it. But I went back years later and grabbed, that tree had fell, the portion of it, and grabbed a big portion and brought it home. I don't worship it. It's a mark of a time that God really answered a prayer I had. Do you have one of those? Where it's like, ooh, he gave me hope. He gave me hope. Build faith monuments. Life's going too fast. Too many emails to return. And delete. I got, I got to have some moments that are just significant. You know, some of you have made Jesus the leader of your life, but there's a faith monument you have not accepted yet. You believe in Jesus. Yeah, you're good with this. But you've never submitted your own body to him. And publicly said, Jesus is the leader of my life, the Lord of my life. You've never done that because you've never been baptized. Baptism is this moment. We're going to give lots of people an adventure on Palm Sunday, the last Sunday of March, to let us do with your body what John the Baptist did with Jesus' body, to bury it underwater. When you're buried underwater, it is symbolic of Christ's death, just as Christ was buried in a tomb for three days and then resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ asks you to be baptized to symbolize your personal commitment to put your hope in him. If you haven't done that, let us know. Put it on your card. Hey, I want to be baptized. I want to do that. I'm ready to build that monument of my faith moment. I want to ask you, who is the source of your peace? You got peace? Who is that source? When Louis Zamperini returned from World War II and his POW camp, no one could reach Louis because according to Laura Hillenbrand, he never really came home. His PTSD was so severe, he could only get to sleep at night with alcohol. In prison camp, he had been beaten into a dehumanized state and obedience to a world order in which the bird was absolutely sovereign and it was under this world that he had to still live. In fact, the bird had taken Louis' dignity and left him feeling humiliated. Listen to this because I think some of you have experienced something like this. The bird had taken his dignity and left Louis feeling humiliated, ashamed, and powerless. Louis believed that the only that only the bird, the person who persecuted him, could restore him. Isn't that strange? He believed that it was his redemption, his healing, could only come from the very person who tried to kill him, the bird. And so, Louis' singular hopeful purpose lied in someday being able to kill this murderer, the bird. He lived every, every day of his life to carry out vengeance. Isn't that something? That we think that the way to healing and hope is to, is to actually hurt those who have taken hope from us. Instead of 
looking for our hope from Him and our healing from Him. Sometimes when you're really struggling with hope and you're tempted, you're tempted to go back and just put your trust in what your parents put their trust in. Just put your trust in, in money, in a super financial portfolio. Uh, put your trust in, uh, in career success. Put your trust in, uh, in where your home is and how nice it is. And that, that's where my trust. If I can achieve those things, hey, nothing else matters, you know. Uh, those are number one for me. And for Gideon, he knew that would be a temptation. Look what the, and perhaps the angel did too, trying to deliver a message for the whole community. Gideon was told by the angel in verses 25 through 26, basically, go, go sledge your dad's Lexus. Here it is. That same night, the angel said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd and one, of the, and one seven years old, Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God, on the top of this height. Use the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. You know, I've been told that there is still an Asherah pole in Las Vegas to this day. It's the center of one of the, uh, one of the you know, facilities for pleasure. It is very easy, isn't it, when things aren't going the direction we want, when life isn't uh, happening like we would like to decide, you know what, I'm just going to put my hope in just my hard work, or I'm just going to put my hope in, in my return on investment, or I'm just going to put my hope in, you know, in how I look. That's where my hope's going to be. Folks, I'm telling you, it doesn't work, that the hope of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and what he can do if you'll change your definition of possible, if you'll adjust your perspective, if you'll build a monument to faith moments and dismantle plan B. Plan B is just acting like the world does. If you don't have hope, well, just figure it out. No, I say you, you keep the gate shut and you speak words of hope and positivity and Christ-centeredness in your home. And you watch the Lord do something. And it gets exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Let me tell you who's excited today. Timothy Nash. He had a challenging family season five, ten years ago. He's getting married tonight. To beautiful Natalia Fagan, her beautiful family. He couldn't be happier. I say the second half of Timothy's life is going to be better than the first half. Don't you want that? That's what was said of Job. Second half of his life was better than the first. There's hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for hope. We get it, God, that we're supposed to be people of faith, but hope is this assurance of things that we cannot see. We want to have that hope. If you're here today and you just want to renew your commitment to Jesus Christ or maybe for the first time to say, yes, I'm willing to trust him to be my source of hope, I want to invite you to simply pray with me right from where you're seated, confidentially. Jesus, today I put my hope in you. Jesus, with my family, I put my hope in you, nothing else. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You with me today?